Hey, sweet friend. Welcome to the By His Grace podcast. I'm your host, Misty Phillip, and I cannot wait to dive into today's episode. But before we do, I just wanted to take a minute to share two fun projects that I've recently launched. The first is the Spark Podcast Network, where I highlight the work of my fellow Christian podcasters that are part of the Spark Collective membership community. You can listen to a variety of amazing Christian podcasts and watch their podcast videos. You will find the By His Grace podcast on the Spark Network, as well as many other great shows. You can get there by going to sparkmedia.ventures. And while you're there, you may also want to download a free copy of the premier issue of the Spark Media magazine. We are currently accepting submissions for our fall edition. For more information, click on the magazine tab at sparkmedia.ventures. Now let's dive into today's topic. Today, we're going to talk about imposter syndrome, whether it be personal feelings of defeat or distress, or the idea that you are inept in the professional realm, there are ways to fight these feelings as a believer. On today's episode, I'm excited to welcome Erica Wiggenhorn for a discussion on imposter syndrome, the effects of this mindset, and overcoming inadequacy from a biblical perspective. We'll dive into her latest book, Letting God Be Enough, Why Striving Keeps You Stuck and surrender sets you free as we look at the life of Moses and how God brought about healing and change in his life. Please welcome my new friend, author, speaker, and Bible teacher, Erica Wiggenhorn, to By His Grace. Erica, welcome to the By His Grace podcast. I'm so glad that you are here with me today. I am thrilled to be here with you today. So I'm going to talk to you today about imposter syndrome, and it's interesting the timing of this conversation because I just put a video out on my Instagram stories, and I ask people, you know, what do you want me to make videos about because I'm working on creating some content for my audience, and one of the responses that I got back was imposter syndrome syndrome. And that's not something that I've ever really talked about. And so I was so excited when I saw your new book that's coming out, um, that that's kind of one of the key uh, pieces of that. So tell everybody what your book is first. Let's start there. And then we'll dive into imposter syndrome. Yes. So the book is Letting God Be Enough, Why Striving Keeps You Stuck and How Surrender Sets You Free. And it centers on the life of Moses, who 100% had imposter syndrome. And it takes a look at how God teaches Moses to deal with his imposter syndrome and how different that is than how the world suggests we tackle this issue. Yeah, so, so good. So let's dive in. So from a biblical perspective, or maybe we should start with the world. So what what is the world's perspective? And then let's give the biblical account as the answer in Moses. 
Yes. So the world's perspective tells us that whenever we feel like we're not enough or we don't have what it takes or we are beating ourselves up over past failures, ruminating over regrets, uh, worrying about our ability to pull off this assignment or this season of life or uh, pleasing this particular person, whether it's uh, a friend or a boss or a coworker, uh, what we ought to do is we ought to look in the mirror and we ought to tell ourselves all of the things that we're good at. We ought to affirm our giftedness. We should unroll our resume and cite our past successes, go over the accomplishments that we have achieved, whether it's our education or past performance, whatever it might be. And that's not necessarily bad advice. Uh, I think especially as women, we really have a tendency to downplay all of our giftedness. Uh, you know, if we were to go, if we were to be speaking at a conference and, and we were to say, you know, turn to the woman next to you and tell her something that you appreciate about her or that you see in her as a gift, an area of giftedness, the room would instantly fill with chatter, right? But if we said, turn to the woman next to you and tell her something that you're good at or, or that you like about yourself, then get really quiet, Misty. Yeah. Because we don't like to talk about that. We feel uncomfortable. We have a tendency to focus on all of the things that are wrong with us and that we don't like versus our giftedness. So the world's advice is not bad advice because it definitely doesn't honor God to be speaking negative things over ourselves all day. The problem is, is that to overcome a fear of inadequacy or imposter syndrome, the world's advice is inadequate advice because we will all be called of God to a season or an assignment or a situation that is utterly beyond us. We are never going to unroll our resume and always have something on it that we can look back at and say, oh, I have a degree in being the mother of a child who struggles with depression and won't get out of bed. There is nothing in life to prepare us for that. That's you know, right. two weeks ago, my husband's coworker came into the office, a brilliant woman. Um, graduate degree has worked in all manner of corporate America. And she's announced to the team, my 11 year old has bone cancer. Mm. We don't know what the next steps are. You know, she, she has a resume a mile long, but there's nothing to prepare her for being the mom of a cancer patient. Yeah. So the world's advice is just inadequate because we will face situations in life where we don't have anything on our resume to cling to. We don't have a degree preparing us for this. This is something brand new and utterly beyond us. And then our only choice is to say, for this situation, I am inadequate, but my God is sufficient. Praise the Lord that <laughs> he is strong in our weaknesses, right? So, yes. so... 
explain to the listeners uh, what you discovered as you studied the life of Moses in regards to imposter syndrome. Yes. So when I first realized that I had imposter syndrome, I didn't even know what that was either. I had a friend call me out on it and she's like, you have imposter syndrome. And I was like, what in the world is that? And I began to research it and I began to research all of the ways that, you know, experts and leading psychologists tell us to deal with it. And I was like, okay, well, that's not bad, but it's inadequate. I'm a Bible teacher, Bible study author, first and foremost. So my jam is always to go to the word of God, right? So you and me both sister, love it, (laughs) love it. So I open up my Bible and I'm like, okay, Moses, greatest self-doubter of the Bible. I mean, this guy is flooded with self-doubt. I mean, you compare how Moses describes himself versus how Stephen describes Moses in Acts 7. You wouldn't even think they're talking about the same guy. It's so different. Uh, so Moses struggles. And so I was like, okay, let's, let's take a look at Moses's struggles, not just so we can learn from Moses, but it, most importantly, you know, the Bible is a book about God. So let's look at what God does with Moses in his struggle with self-doubt and fear of inadequacy. And so I began to really look at their conversation and what was so beautiful and comforting to me, Misty, was that when Moses went to God and he was like, you know, who am I? Who am I to be able to do this? You know, who am I to be able to to follow you in this area that you're calling me to do? I mean, God was calling Moses to a big job, but this is something that we can cling to in any job. Being a mom is the hardest job I think any of us are ever going to do, right? And we're like, this is beyond me. I don't know what to do. But what God does in that moment when Moses comes to him and says, you know, who am I? Who am I to do, be able to do this? I don't know what I'm doing. I don't, I don't even know where to start. Why are you asking me to do this? Uh, God did not unroll Moses's resume and give him a bunch of props as to why he was the guy for the job. He certainly could have. Moses, you know, he was raised as a prince in the court of Egypt. He was the perfect person to go interact with Pharaoh. He knew how the court worked. He knew all about the Egyptian religion. He was trained in you know, the art of war and governments as a prince growing up in Egypt to be able to manage all of these people, God could have cited all these props to Moses, but he didn't. He simply promised Moses his presence. It's in Exodus three. He says, I'll be with you. And that's really the end of the day. What about we're standing in front of the mirror and we're trying to think of reasons why we've we're going to, we're going to plow through, we're going to do the thing, you know, and we're like, but I got nothing. I got nothing. Uh, I jokingly say, you know, I want to get one of those big cardboard cutouts of uh, Jonathan Ramey from the chosen, you know, the guy who plays Jesus. I want to get like a big cardboard cutout of Jesus. And I want to put it next to me. And I want to stand in front of the mirror. And I want to say, I got nothing but I'm with this guy and that's all I need, right? That's it. I got everything I need right here. And, and that's really what God invited Moses to believe. I'm with you. And that is all you need. 
But God went on to do something even more beautiful that gave me so much comfort. As soon as he said to Moses, but I will be with you, he goes on and he says, and this will be a sign for you when you lead the people out. And I have a big red circle right around that when, because he didn't say to Moses, you know, if you're obedient enough, if you're spiritual enough to hear my direction, if you are brave enough, Moses, to do all the things I tell you to do, if you communicate clearly enough to the people so that other people can catch your vision and come alongside you, there was no if in God's directions to Moses. There was just that big fat win. Mm. Because from God's perspective, if he's called us to it, if he's in it with us, it's as good as done. It's his plan. And it didn't depend on Moses's performance. It rested on God's promises. And that's the same with God's plan for our lives. We're going to mess up. Moses messed up. He failed epically. (laughs) But God's God's plan still came to pass. And it will be the same for us. We'll mess up. We'll have setbacks. We'll get it wrong. We'll trip and stumble along the way. We'll make mistakes. Um, But God is with us and his plan for our lives will come to pass. All God asks us is to remember he's right there with us. That's right. And to believe in him. That's right. Believe in him. And have faith that even the faith of a mustard seed, which is the tiniest little thing, that's our part. Um, I love, since you made a chosen reference, I love that um, that Dallas Jenkins always talks about the loaves and the fishes. And he says, I bring, I bring the loaves and the in the fishes and, and, and God feeds the 5,000. So we bring what we have, but it's knowing that God is with us. Although sometimes we can look around at our sisters in Christ. Uh, We can, you know, get on Instagram and think, wow, she's got it all together. Why am I struggling so hard to just be a wife and a mom and run my business and do my thing. And um, life for them seems so easy and like they've got it all together. Um, I think you talk about that. So I'd love for you to speak into that for somebody who may be struggling with feeling like they're working so hard to hold it all together. Yeah. So I share a story in in the book, uh, Letting God Be Enough, about a friend of mine and her daughter was getting married and she my friend is always battled with her weight. And so she really wanted to lose some weight uh, before her daughter's wedding. And so she, uh, you know, she made some lifestyle choices. She started walking for an hour every morning. She started, uh, you know, getting rid of the hidden stashes of chocolate bars at her pantry. Um, You know, nothing drastic. She didn't go on like, you know, one of these diets where she just drank carrot juice all day or anything. She just made a few changes and she began to get healthy. She began to feel better. She was sleeping better at night, which meant she was drinking a whole lot less uh, sugary coffee during the day. And, you know, she was starting to lose some weight. And then she got on Instagram and she saw another friend of ours from high school who 
had lost 25 pounds and looked like a supermodel. And the next thing she knew, she found herself, you know, in the drive through downing, you know, a big, fat, greasy meal because she just felt defeated. And, you know, the point of that is, is that, you know, God didn't call my friend to do this super drastic diet and exercise for three hours a day and spend, you know, $2,000 on a personal trainer. He just talked to her about, you know, get up in the morning and put your AirPods in and some praise music and go for a walk with me. And, you know, just start with something simple because God honors faithfulness before he fosters our success. And success for my friend was not about, you know, becoming this next supermodel. Success for my friend was about spending time with God every morning, going for a walk and making that one simple change. And so I think the problem is, Misty, is that we get this idea in our head. If we're not the best or we don't have the biggest results or we don't have the greatest impact, uh, then what little results or impact we have are meaningless. And that's just, that's just a lie of the enemy, right? Like absolutely, um, we need to do what God has asked us to do. And that may look differently than what he asks someone else to do. That does not mean he's not working. And that does not mean that he is not using our obedience and our faithfulness to impact other people's lives. I think a lot of times the impact that we make on other people's lives, God doesn't always allow us to see that because he wants us to be focused on our relationship with him more than he wants us to be focused on outcomes. The outcomes are up to him, right? Just like the five loaves and the two fish, right? Like anybody standing in that crowd with a little, basket of five loaves and two fish, you know, he could have been like, what's the use? Like this, I got, this is ridiculous compared to this crowd here, but put in the hands of God, it became immeasurably more. And it's the same thing with us, our faithfulness. When we go on Instagram and we see some influencer, you know, that has 2 million followers, we might think, you know what, my faithfulness today in my kitchen with my three kids, kids feel so insignificant and meaningless, but you have no idea what God has planned in the lives of those little ones that you're making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for that day. You have no idea. God knows and God honors your faithfulness. And so we have to be more content in looking at the face of Jesus than we are at comparing ourselves to others. That is so, so good. And I could say a million things about what you just said, but um, I, I'm not. I'm Instead, I'm going to switch the conversation just a little bit because another aspect that you talk about in the book is surrender. And I think that that is the key to all of those things that you just said is, first of all, we have to get to the place where we say, not my desire, Lord, not my will, Lord, um, 
not these circumstances, Lord, but your will be done. And so I'd love for you to talk about surrender and what what that looked like maybe in the life of Moses or in your own personal life as you wrote this book. Yeah. So in the tagline of the book, we really uh, juxtapose surrender with striving. And I think that one of the things that we can clearly identify, we are not living in surrender when we are in this place of striving and striving basically looks like, you know, I have this thing in mind that I want to do and I am going to do whatever it takes to achieve that goal. And it can be a, you know, it can be a dream or an ambition, but it can also be something like people pleasing, right? Like I just, I can't function if anybody is mad at me. So I'm spinning my wheels, you know, a hundred million miles an hour, trying to be all things to all people and keep everybody happy because I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to let other people down. So anytime that we're in this place where we're just striving constantly, uh, whether it's in pursuit of something that we think, man, if I just achieve that, I'm going to feel significant. I'm going to feel like my life matters now or out of fear of other people rejecting us or not loving us if we don't meet their expectations. Uh, Both of those things are contrary to surrender. The problem becomes a lot of times, especially as Christians, we can really over-spiritualize our people-pleasing and we can live in constant striving where it looks like we are just, uh, you know, super Christian woman trying to be the, you know, the great friend and the helper at church and the community member and doing all these things for all these people. Uh, But we're not doing them out of a place of love. We're doing them out of a place of fear that people will reject us or think less of us if we stop performing at such a high level. Um, So what does surrender look like then? If that's what striving is, what does surrender look like? Well, it's really the opposite. It's really being able to say no, because you know, God is not calling you to this. It's being willing to say, uh, God, I'm going to open my hands and give you this thing that I want so desperately. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to lay it at your feet and I'm going to trust your timing. Um, that, that's what surrender looks like. And I, I give an illustration. Uh, it's that to me, I read in a book many years ago and it was so profound and it was just such an aha moment in my own life of what surrender actually is. But, um, there's basically there's a guy who's standing on the edge of Niagara Falls. He has a tight rope from one end to the other, and there's a crowd around him. And he says, do you believe I can walk across this tightrope over Niagara Falls without falling and plummeting to my death. And the crowd is like, well, we don't know, but it'd kind of be cool to see. So go for it. So the guy goes across, he goes back. The people on the edge of the cliff are just clapping, cheering, shouting. They're like, oh my gosh, you're so amazing. What else can you do? Like show us some, some more wonders. Like you are wow, you are incredible. And so the guy's like, okay. So he takes this wheelbarrow 
And he says, do you believe I can push this wheelbarrow across the tightrope without dropping the wheelbarrow or plummeting to my death? And the crowd's like, well, we saw you walk across it. We know you're amazing. Yeah, well, you could probably do it. Go for it. So the guy takes his wheelbarrow. He pushes it across the tightrope. He comes back to the other side. The crowd is just going insane. They're like, you are amazing. There's no one like you. Oh my goodness. We've never seen anything so wonderful. And they're just, you know, praising this man up and down, clapping and cheering and so excited. And he says, do you believe I can push this wheelbarrow across this tightrope without dropping the wheelbarrow or plummeting to my death? And the crowd's like, well, of course we believe you can do it. We just saw you do it with our own eyes. We believe you can do anything. And the man grabs the nearest person standing there. And he says, well, then get in the wheelbarrow. Wow. And that's trust. That's surrender. Getting in the wheelbarrow is surrender. And so many of us, you know, we're on the cliff. We're on the edge, on the solid land, Misty, and we're clapping and cheering, saying, oh, God, you are amazing. Show us more wonders. There's nothing you can't do. There's no one like you. You are incredible, right? And God says, well, then get in the wheelbarrow. And we're like, oh, wait a minute, right? We don't want to yeah. surrender. Because once we get in the wheelbarrow, like if you imagine yourself, right, like you're nestled down in that wheelbarrow with your rear end over the front tire and your legs are dangling over the end and God's pushing you in that wheelbarrow, you can't see where he's going. The future is at the back of your head. The only thing you can see is the face of God. You are nestled in that wheelbarrow. You are looking right up into the face of Jesus. And Jesus is looking right at you, but he's also looking beyond you because he's seeing where he's going and he's seeing where he's taking you. And he's pushing you forward towards that beautiful plan that he has for your life. But until we surrender, until we will move past the safety and security of that nice stable cliff where we're in the crowd with everybody else, we're kind of stuck there. But once we surrender and we get in the wheelbarrow, God's going to start moving us forward towards the plan that he has for us. And we're going to experience an intimacy with him in that process. When all the distraction around us is gone, we're just looking right into the face of Jesus. We're seeing his face resolute, moving us forward. And it's just, it's just the two of us at that point. And that is surrender. And that takes a lot of courage, but we can't get where Jesus wants us to go until we're willing to get in the wheelbarrow. Such a great illustration as you were telling us about that. It, it reminded me of the song Oceans about you call me out upon the water. And I think about Peter, who as long as Peter had his eyes on Jesus, he was walking on the water. But as soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus, that's when he began to sink. And so 
often, I think, in our lives, like we're on the sidelines and we're like, yeah. And then he calls us out onto that water and it's so unstable. Um, But I love your illustration. If we just keep our eyes on Jesus and if we keep our hands open um, and, and don't despise small beginnings, just take whatever it is that we have and offer it to him and then leave the outcome to him. Because um, the thing that he wants, like you said, it's it's our faith and it's our relationship. And he wants to speak his love over us and just really grow us in that process of surrender. And so I just want to thank you so much for sharing your wisdom on all of these things with us today, Erica. Very excited about your book. When does your book come out? So the official release date is September 7th. Great. That is very exciting. And it gives you the opportunity to surrender this book to God, to let him do what he wants to do with it. But I am so glad that he has allowed you to come here on By His Grace to share with my listeners um, who I know at least one of them who is struggling with imposter syndrome and how you've taken us through uh, looking at the life of Moses, who was afraid and didn't want to do it, but God just said, trust me, um, uh, through your example of striving and surrender. Such good stuff, my friend. So thank you so much for being with us today. We will put a link to where people can find you and find out more about your book and all of the things and Bible studies that you have to offer. Um, I want to give you the last word. Um, Let's go back to that person who is struggling with imposter syndrome. If you could tell them just one thing today that would help them to encourage them, what would that be? Yeah, so I will share with you what God laid on my heart, which really became the catalyst to allow him to start bringing healing to this uh, this lie of the enemy that I had allowed to take root in my heart. Uh, it was right after uh, my very first book had been published and I was at Moody Publishers and the idea of walking into that building and meeting the team literally made me physically sick. Uh, my hands started to shake. I started to sweat. Um, my whole stomach felt in knots. And this was supposed to be this day of like incredible celebration. I mean, this was a moment where God had done exceedingly abundantly more than I could have ever asked or imagined. You know, here I have a book on the shelf with my name on it next to all of my heroes of the faith, you know, Tozer, Spurgeon, Moody. And the whole time I am just sick to my stomach. And I came back to my hotel room that day. And as I laid my head on the pillow, God just said to me, child, this was supposed to be a day where we celebrated together my goodness in your life. And you let the enemy rob it. You let him rob the joy of my goodness in your life. When are we going to deal with this? And so for the person out there who's saying, man, that's me. I just feel like, you know what? Uh, If I don't perform, I'm going to be rejected. Um, I'm walking into an assignment and I don't have anything for this. And I just know I'm going to fail. My marriage is on the brink and I don't know what else to do. And I just, 
you know, I, I I'm trying everything and, and I don't know what to do. God wants to celebrate his goodness in your life. He wants to uproot this lie of the enemy. God's plans for your life are beyond what you or I will ever be adequate enough to fulfill on our own. It requires a work of God and your father loves you. He has good plans for you. And when he formed you in your mother's womb, he gave you giftedness. And when you chose to follow him, he then gave you spiritual giftedness and he has plans to use it. So press into Jesus, get your eyes on Jesus, get in his word, pray, journal, and let God's plan unfold for your life and get out of your head, get your face in the book and start to live like it's true. Love, love, love it. And I'm so glad that you have been with us today, Erica. So thank you again for being a guest on By His Grace. Y'all go grab this book and get alone with God and then get your journal and allow him to speak life into you. Thanks so much. Thank you, Misty. Thank you for joining me today on By His Grace. I hope you've enjoyed listening and are encouraged by our guest today. I would love for you to visit my blog, mistyphilip.com, for more encouragement. You can find me on social media as Misty Phillip, and I would love to connect with you there.